This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 73, with guests Samira and Kasim. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dario Suvorova, and welcome to today's episode. With a background in solar technology, brand strategy consulting, and digital business development, Samira's journey is a testament to her adventurous and curious spirit. Today, Samira and Kasim is a founder of London-based Pink Salt Ventures, a venture capital firm dedicated to supporting female-led technology companies. We discuss her journey from entrepreneurship to starting Pink Salt Ventures, capital funding challenges faced by female founders, and solutions that can foster change. We speak about feminine leadership. I hope you enjoy hearing about Samira's vibrant approach to life and her commitment to creating a positive impact in this world. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or simply share it with a friend. Hello, Samira. Just a few weeks back, we met in London, and here you are visiting us in Berlin, and we get to record this episode finally here in the studio. So I'm very excited to welcome you in this lovely day. And what brought you actually to Berlin this week? So I was here for Super Return. Well, I was at Super Venture. Um, was here meeting LPs, uh, meeting a bunch of GPs as well. So it's a big week for fundraising in Berlin. So that's exciting because we will talk about this later. And I'm curious to hear like what everyone are talking about, what's the current trends, what are the conversations. So we're going to get to that later in our conversation. So you've mentioned that art and science have been really essential and fundamental pillars in what defined you today and how you've built up your career, how you build up your perception of life and approach to life. Can you tell me more about the science and art coming into your life? Yeah, I think when you're figuring out your life, you're following your interests. And if you want to live a life well lived, you've got to enjoy it. And always as a kid, my favorite games were like arts and crafts, creating worlds, you know, very much within the imagination. But then I got to school and I pretty much enjoyed everything. But sciences, especially because they explained how things worked and how the world works in a much more detail-oriented way. But then I also loved creative writing. So I think I was fortunate enough to be pretty well-rounded in terms of academics, but creative subjects never felt like work. They just felt like fun. And I guess science became more like work at a certain point when it becomes very complex. But there's also a reward in that. So I think I guess I've always been just so curious about everything. I mean, you even mentioned you tried film, fashion, journalism, brand strategy consulting. That's also something that your background is. So, yeah, I think with being all rounded, with being very curious, it's both a blessing and a curse because it means you don't know. Like some people are very lucky at like five years old. They have a calling and they're like, I'm meant to be a classical pianist or whatever it is. And they have that one talent where... I didn't have that one defining talent, so I knew I just had to try things and see and figure out along the way what was the right thing for me. What was the moment you realized you found a way to, like, as you also mentioned, like zigzag between arts and scientists and kind of bring those worlds closer together in your work life? I think definitely with Pink Salt Ventures. So I'd got into med school and then figured out in my gap year in Paris smoking cigarettes and drinking cafes, then I should do something creative. And that's what I found really fun. And the only way to be successful is to enjoy what you do, truly. 
and then, you know, tried a bunch of different creative industries and landed in brand strategy because it combined both an analytical skill set as well as creativity and working with designers, telling stories, growing companies. So during that time, I then became super obsessed with technology and was like, ooh, everything that I'm intrigued about is innovation related. And there's both an element of culture towards it, right? Because it's like, what's relevant today? What are people interested in? Where are these companies being launched out of? But it's also off the back of like cutting edge technology, which is ultimately scientific. You know, and then I launched a solar technology company and then I launched Tiger Bell's digital business and then I started Pink Salt Ventures. And I think with Pink Salt Ventures, it's kind of like going full circle because one of the big areas that I'm really interested in is women's health mm-hmm. as much as like community driven businesses. And and I think that entrepreneurship is very much a meeting of, you know, it is art and science, right? Or any business is like art and science, but it's very much about creating value but you also need to be incredibly analytical and it's kind of like a big science experiment as well right you're like finding your users you have an idea you're testing it you're seeing if it's successful and then you're following that growth and that success so i kind of yeah innovation your place there yeah (laughs) i love that and before we speak more about that so when i met you like for the first time i had this impression okay this is a very energetic, thoughtful woman in front of me, very curious on some kind of mission in this life, in this world. We still need to figure out what that mission is. And I mean, that will be my final question to you is like, what are you planning to build and what kind of impact you want to create? But and then I was curious, like where it was coming from, like what's your background? Uh, Because a lot of our experience is life, but also childhood shapes us based on those values and how we are brought up. And then I was reading the notes you shared with me and about your parents and the story. And I was like, okay, wow, that's really explains a lot. <laughs> so maybe you can share a little bit more about the, yeah, I'm not even going to reveal what's <laughs> what's there in your background. Yeah. So my mom is Northern Irish. You know, her grandfather ran a big shipping company and just raised in a very, I mean, they're not the most emotional of people, but like no nonsense. They get on with life. And she was the most brilliant of all of the siblings. And she went on to be a doctor and decided she wanted to be an aid doctor. And she just got placed in Yemen, right? She was part of an agency and they were like, okay, we're going to send you to the Middle East. She wanted actually to go to Latin America. And then they showed her all of the architecture and the mountains. And she was like, oh, okay, incredible. I want to go there. And then my grandmother was literally a farmer subsistence farmer she was like the village midwife the snake killer so incredibly strong woman Snake killer part still gets me all the time (laughs) and she's a bit of badass because you know Yemen is like a very very patriarchal society and her husband died when my dad was super young I think he was like three or four Uh, but she still managed to keep all of her land intact she you know she was a farmer she lived a hard life you know my dad was this dreamer and he dreamt of he didn't want to be a, a shepherd he didn't want to be in the village and like all of the village elders met and he said you know i want to do my secondary education because in the village you only do primary education and they were like okay in the end they said yes my grandmother didn't really want him to go and that you know started his life of adventure he went on he's done so many things he was a boxer he was a soldier he was a nurse 
And then his his career was really in healthcare, which is how he met my mother. They were writing minutes at a health minister's meeting, and she was writing the minutes in English, and he was writing the minutes in Arabic. And then they, I guess, fell in love. <laughs> oh, that's so such a sweet story. But then yeah. you also mentioned that both Irish and Arab cultures both are very fiery, and that also kind of defines you and your maybe like passionate character. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, even though the Irish are less capable of expressing their emotions versus like the Arabs are much more emotional, they're both fiery, they'll both fight. There's definitely commonalities within that kind of Celtic Arab Venn diagram of just being quite passionate people. And I think sometimes to my detriment, you know, they're definitely <laughs> um, qualities that I have in abundance. And I think they're good qualities if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to change the world and you want to do something that you believe in because you've got to fight you know going out to battle fundraising like you have to be able to put up a defense and take things on the chin and come back stronger it's not for the faint of heart that's when like you channel your grandma yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> you also mentioned that you grew up with strong set of values and i was curious What were those? What are the most essential values that you live by? So in terms of my values, my parents, you know, they both worked for international health organizations. My mom was a doctor in public health. My dad set up lots of community organizations in Liverpool to help the community. He also set up an arts festival. So they're very humanitarian, you know, very big thinkers and believers in creating a better world, very high integrity, but also very active. They love sports. There's just like a lot of very positive energy and a belief in the human spirit and a belief that you can put your energy behind the right initiatives and you can make a change in the world. And I think that agency is a very fertile place for a child to grow up in. And because they'd come from backgrounds with such conflict, obviously Yemen, you had the rise of political Islam and, you know, all of the conflict that comes with Islam in the region. On my mother's side, Northern Ireland, she lived through the troubles, right? She saw the conflict in her backyard and seeing the fight between the two different sides. So both of them have this real drive for peace, but it also, because their backgrounds are so different, there was a lot of freedom in how we were raised and a lot of liberalism and I think that freedom, that agency, that real passion and drive to create a difference in the world is, you know, why I ended up the way I am. I love that story and I love how you tapped into that, right? And created something of your own and that kind of directed you through your life. And there was something that you mentioned which really intrigued me is that you mentioned a couple of times that you were never afraid to take risks which is quite a lot of people are usually at certain parts of their life, especially women at the beginning of their career. There's a lot of fear, right, to do something wrong, to get fired, to not get employed. There's a lot of fear in terms of like setting up your career for success. But your approach was, I don't mind it. I want to take risks. Life is too short. How is that you? It's a really good question. I think, I mean, obviously having a support network, right? I believe in equality, but I also know that I have a family who allowed, gave me the springboard to be able to take risks at certain moments. And I think sometimes that's not acknowledged enough in the world of entrepreneurship. Like there are big socioeconomic barriers. And I think that's great why we have like accelerators and different programs that can give people from different launch pads 
from different backgrounds a launch pad. So I think, you know, that is part of maybe people have the inclination to take that risk, but they don't have the opportunity to, right? And I think I definitely, I took every opportunity that came my way and the lack of fear, I think, the lack of fear comes from a place of, to me, life is very, very short. And like the whole point of being alive here in the world is to enjoy it and embrace it. And the idea of being in like a super well-paid job where I'm kind of dead inside to me is death. That's like living death. And I'd rather take all the risk, not have an income, be like struggling, but be alive and working towards something. And I guess I'm a dreamer, right? And I think that's like, a better measure of life than kind of being trapped in a system and like the matrix is real right i think like fear just traps people in systems and it takes away their agency and it tells them all of the reasons why not instead of like just actually going for it and when you kind of give yourself that permission to go into your fear it's not like i didn't have fear i have loads of fear everyone's got fear you know it's more that you don't let it stop you from doing things and what you find is even when you fail, you figure out a way to like pick yourself back up again. Interesting approach, like thinking so presently about how life is short because it requires that hunger for life. It requires like constant check in with yourself where you're at. Are you one of those people who are not comfortable with aging or reflect at every birthday like, oh, okay, time is passing by or it's like does this make you think does this make you like afraid of getting older time is definitely going faster but I think life gets better and better because you just get to know yourself you become much more comfortable in your skin like I was so insecure as a teenager and even my early 20s my 20s in general felt a bit chaotic you know like I actually feel the more time goes on the better it becomes because you know yourself like you're doing work that you believe in you are connected with people who you share values with and some of that is just a function of time yeah i'm all about wisdom is a beautiful thing i think becoming a wise all yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> every year no absolutely right and i mean the more you grow older the more you understand especially if you try different things the more you understand what you like and dislike and then it becomes a joy i mean Looking back also in the days how I was planning vacations and stuff, I was so stressed and was focusing on wrong things. And now I'm like, it just flows, you know, so much more fun to connect with people, to not have those even thoughts that make you like anxious or feel strange. Like they don't exist. They sometimes come up, but then you feel more free. Yeah. Um, and you've like figured out tools to deal with things, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you also did mention that you really get satisfied from finding your craft and doing things on your own and building things. And one of those, let's say your latest craft is Pink Salt Ventures. You mentioned a couple of things, how you got there and how you started it, but you come more from the background of brand consulting and you've worked maybe more with the founder background, but not necessarily as an investor. So why you felt that Pink Salt Ventures were something where this is where you can create an impact. Yeah. So having been a founder and then also like launching businesses in a big corporate, you kind of have, and also doing strategy consulting, you have that approach to business of like looking at things overall from like the go-to-market, the finance, the numbers, the strategy, the, you know, looking at everything holistically. And I was lucky to meet a backer who knew that I was very entrepreneurial and that ultimately I wanted to do my own thing. 
and I got challenged to go do it, right? It's like, okay, here's some capital, like go make it happen. And I was very conscious of how amazing of an opportunity this was, but also, you know, when you think about like the big titans of industry, I didn't want to have an idea where I'm like, okay, I'm going to build this for five years and sell it. I was looking for the thing that I could do for ostensibly my whole career, right? And build it and grow with it like a marriage. And I was researching all of these ideas within verticals that I was interested in and knew there was a lot of innovation, a lot of opportunity. And then I just saw that women were building all of the businesses that I was interested in. And I was like, oh, bing, I should Mm. just invest in women. And I also knew the investing skill set if you are strategic, if you are a generalist thinker, if you're very analytical, if you like people building network, connecting people, it like tapped into a lot of my core skills as a professional. And I knew I would never get bored as well. So given that my insatiable curiosity always drives me to find the next thing, I was like, okay, well, this is how I can find the new thing and also stay committed. But why specifically when you spoke about, we also talked about the thesis, right, that you focus on female founders, but why? You know, a lot of especially if we talk about LPs and also other fund managers, they always actually promote like we are going to support founders regardless of their gender and background. We want to support the best solution out there. Really someone who is the best and doesn't matter where they come from, what's the gender. And Pink Salt Venture uh, Ventures is focused on female founders only. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I had the idea, I just thought it was an amazing idea. You know, I wasn't coming from within the VC industry. Like, I had no idea about the statistics when it came to funding diverse people, women, minorities, etc. I was like, there's just these macro trends of innovation, health technology, women's health, sustainability. Women are building these businesses. And it was purely from an opportunistic point of view. I'm also very passionate about women's issues, right? And therefore, the kind of businesses that women will build So for me, it was never about discriminating or elevating people because they were disadvantaged. It was actually about seeing an opportunity and like backing some badass founders. So I'm also just selecting the best founder that I find. But I think at this point in the VC ecosystem, it would not be a smart business move to say, hey, I'm just going to build another generalist VC firm. Like, why? There are amazing firms out there that Mm -hmm. do that. And if you look at the structure of the industry and what doesn't get backed, there is absolutely a business case for institutionalizing capital towards women, given that they go out and pitch their businesses and are told that they're building for a niche market, when in fact, women are the majority of the population on earth, right? They're like 51%. First, just to understand what percentage of female founders are getting funding today? So it sits at around 2% globally. And I think that's pretty much stayed the same for the past 10 years. I mean, those numbers are quite discouraging, you know, and I'm always thinking because every year they release the reports again and again, and it's not really rising that much. Yeah. It's not changing. And as a female founder, it's like you would think, okay, there is a problem and there's a high chances I'm not going to get funded. So why even should I bother? I think it's changing. I think you can't be defeatist about it, right? And there are people that who are out there who want to support you. I think getting venture funding in general is a really hard 
thing to do. Building a venture scalable business is a very hard thing to do, right? You need to go from like zero to 100 million revenue or millions or billions of users in this span of like zero to five or 10 years. That in itself is an insane feat and a huge achievement. And there are only so many people that can do that. But I think the world is changing. Maybe that's just my optimism. But I do think there are you know, there's more action from the LP side and you want to touch on that later, but that's fundamentally what's going to drive the change. And I think generationally as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom is a doctor. If you went back 100 years ago, everyone would have had this opinion of like, oh no, women can't be doctors. Like, that's crazy. You know, this is a man's job. How could you even think such a thing? And I think entrepreneurship, finance, technology, they're still very male-dominated environments right. where men will protect their interests, albeit subconsciously. Uh, I don't think it's a big conspiracy theory, but there is this view of like, oh, leadership, it has to be and look a certain way. And the grit and the hustle and the drive that it requires to build such a big business in a short space of time isn't feminine. You know, and I just I completely disagree with that. And I think you go into the younger generations and like who wants to do investing, who wants to be a founder, you know, it becomes more and more gender diverse. And I think there are areas and businesses that are frankly more suited to women building. Right. Because you generally entrepreneurs are building off the back of their lived experience. If you have PCOS, if you have endometriosis, and you're just faced with the dearth of options out there and you see a better way of doing things, like that's not going to be a guy's experience, right? Um, Maybe you'll see it through women in his life, but still. Just to understand, like in your point of view, what is the reason for this gap in terms of the capital allocation and bringing the question to LPs? Because do they proactively, both institutional and family offices, do they invest in funds that are focused on minority founders and female founders or are they not aware or are they for some reason not as proactive when it comes to supporting funds that are prioritized female founders? Yeah. So when you look at the structure of the industry, you know, it's investing is ultimately about risk mitigation. And especially when you get to the big institutions, no one will ever get fired for investing in Sequoia or for investing in Index, right? And their whole job is to make a decision so they don't get fired. So when you have people that are building funds that are actually really differentiated and maybe supporting women or people of color, suddenly it's a risk because it's not the mainstream. And therefore, you know, it gets put in this and just emerging managers in general, right? It's a risk. Not many LPs have the appetite to invest in first time new emerging fund managers. However, on the flip side, you also have LPs that have a mandate around it, right? And they care deeply. And that's typically more on the family office side, personally generated wealth. But there are foundations, endowments. I think the US is way ahead in terms of allocating capital specifically towards women or people of color and understanding that it needs to be on the agenda from the allocation level. When you get to Europe, everyone seems to see that opportunity from the climate perspective, right? So the amount of money that's gone into climate venture funds over the past few years is phenomenal, but there isn't that same urgency or desire when it comes to diversity, but 
if you talk to many thinkers within the climate change space, gender equality and climate change, gender equality goes hand in hand, right? And I genuinely believe that it's about creating more balance in the world. Okay. So this week, I mean, you talk to a lot of fund managers and LPs, like what's the, did you feel like the ground, like it was like shifting from the dead point, like there was more conversations, there was more interest or new perspectives and when it comes to investing into diverse founders? Yeah, I think the smart LPs get that it's a commercial opportunity, right? But supply and demand economics, if you generally within venture, you want to go to the area where there is less competition and great opportunities, because once it becomes saturated, then it's just a lot harder, right? So for example, one of the geographies that generated insane venture returns was Central Eastern Europe, just because there weren't any venture funds there. So the venture funds who were there had insane returns because people had limited funding options. So I think when it comes to female founders, we're at that kind of inflection point in Europe. I think this thesis is a lot more established in the US, where there are women who are building venture-backable businesses, but they go out to market. And at the earliest stage, the industry is structured that people may not take them seriously or see the opportunity that they're building in and for. Hence why I think there's a massive case for dedicated capital of people who like do see that opportunity. And then once they build product and they have an MVP, it's a very different conversation going out to generalist investors because you have traction, you have proof points, and it's no longer just you and your face in a pitch deck where a lot more bias can play in. It's right. you and your business, right? And it's great to see that. Yeah. And I saw that with the first portfolio, you know, like amazing founders being told that they weren't building a venture scalable business. They got pre-seed funding and then some of the best VCs in the game led their seed round. So it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, there you go. That's proof is in the pudding. Exactly. So you yourself, like what trends, what innovations are you currently looking at and interested? So I should also say on fundraising, fundraising is hard for everyone right now. There's just a lot less capital in the system because of interest rates. So even though smart LPs like get the thesis, it's a tough fundraising environment at the moment, but I, that should change, right? Everything is cyclical with these things. But yeah, in terms of what I'm interested in, I think great ideas, it's always at the intersection of like culture, technology, and the economy, and those things are constantly evolving. Women's health, I think that's just massively, that's going to be a huge opportunity for the next 10 years, for sure given the breakthroughs in digital therapeutics, personalization, but also the fact that it's so under-researched, underfunded. And, you know, I think our generation of women and the women coming up, it's like everyone's got enough agency and everyone's had enough. It's like, why is it that when you go to the GP and you have any problem with your vagina, they're like, oh, well, we kind of don't know about that, you know? And it's like, why don't you know? Like, you should know. <laughs> So I think there's huge opportunity there. And then like cultural stuff, you know, I saw an amazing founder building for like young women and the fact that they're lonely. I think loneliness is a massive epidemic, right? And using like AI, okay, we had this like social media revolution, but I think social media 
in many ways has driven us further apart, right? It's not actually building community. I mean, it's a media platform, right? And there's like a massive mental health crisis with young women. I think that's really interesting. So I always am looking at like, how are people feeling? Where is the world going? Because in those feelings, there's an opportunity to service people, right? And that's like, ultimately, you have an intersection between like, yes, a cutting edge technology, but it's always about the adoption of the technology and the adoption comes from human needs, human behaviors, where they are, what their pain points are in life. It's a very interesting perspective. I mean, yeah. given that we had pandemic, then we had other economic situations. It's like how behavior of people are today and before 2020 is probably shifted tremendously. Yeah. Like you would not see such a shift from maybe 2010 to 2020. Probably it was gradual. I mean, with introduction of certain technology, Instagram, the social media came to play. But with those crises, it's just a completely different ways of how people react, interact with their communities, with friends, how they set the goals, how they treat their mental health and physical health. And that's probably is driving a new generation, yeah, a new way of how generations will take care of themselves and approach things. So yeah, but it's it's interesting. I don't think we see it yet. It's going to kind of unfold still in maybe in a couple of years or so. Yeah, totally. And then also how we work, right? It's like there are massive opportunities for platforms that enable decentralized work but also what are the problems that come along with that if we're all alone in our little workspaces you need platforms and tools that also connect you the opportunity of the internet is also so content related right and so how are you consuming that content how do you deliver it for these different audience needs i think there's always going to be opportunities in that area it's like it's fundamentally a tool to connect people and help them communicate. Yeah, we went from bits to then language and then image and video, and then it's gonna become immersive. But like, how far does the immersive world come into the real world? Does that just stay in gaming? And these are all obviously web three. They can become a bit buzzwordy, but of course there's opportunity in it somewhere, right? At some point this is going to be like, we will adapt and this is sounds buzzwordy, but it becomes like an everyday lingo in a way. Yeah. That's very curious and sometimes a bit scary given there's so much uh, amazing technology that enables us to be quicker, more efficient and better. At the same time, we're extremely lonely yeah. given that we are, social networks kind of allow us to just consume content. There's no need for like asking someone actually for advice or having this coffee chat and asking for some kind of expertise because you literally can find this online. You're always re working remotely on your own because it just feels right. It feels good. You're more productive. But we're missing out on some, you know, when we talk about wisdom or this generational knowledge, that's something that might, people might be missing in the way of how do you tell a story and pass on the story to the next group or the next generation that might be be on a decline a bit that's to me is like i look at this trend and i'm like well what's the counterfactual and i've actually seen a lot of really interesting platforms that yes are using technology but they're doing it to create human connection but because these platforms do pull us apart and they atomize us in some way and instead of atomizing us they're like actually fostering whether that's like a peer-to-peer -peer coaching service or this like this platform that literally helps people uses AI to 
create connections between people mm. and make sure that they're very well matched up but makes them meet in real life and it's just like friends right and they she was really interesting she was like tinder is actually really because you're swiping it makes people feel really bad so she's like she built the product around this insight it's like we don't have any swiping we don't meet one-on-one because actually it makes you feel even more lonely because you like are aware of the fact that you're just meeting this person so they all meet in groups and it's like that to me is interesting same with like all of the mental health apps you know and again like these digital work tools flows it's like i do think they're you can still use digital to also address problems that have maybe been created by a digital world. Yeah. Like, But again, who has access to that? Yeah. Usually people who know, read about it. And I'm thinking about the maybe general public that is not on regularly on LinkedIn and checking on the latest, maybe a tech crunch and latest news and what is the up and coming app to solve your problems. You know, people, yeah. this is usually early adopters that will invest time and utilize this. But how does this technology actually becomes common to the same majority? The best technology plays are always about democratization of access, right? So when the mental health company that I invested in, Elena, there aren't enough therapists in the world currently, and it's super expensive and therefore usually accessible by people who are pretty privileged. But if you have a solution that's like, you know, on the one hand, if you pay for it privately, it would cost you like 1,000 pounds a month. And then you have another solution that costs five pounds a month. And suddenly you distribute that within the NHS and the GPs are able to offer solutions to people that have mental health problems instead of putting them on a waiting list where they're maybe never going to get seen. And it's kind of a bit hopeless. I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but same, exactly the same. And I actually had a guest on the show last year, Farina Schutzfeld, and she's the founder of self Happy that is actually addressing that problem of that people cannot get a therapist because you have to be in the queue. And this is urgent, let's put it this way, when it comes to your physical and mental health. I mean, you should not be put on a, you know, like a waiting list to get help. Yeah, exactly. And I also think we'll regulate, you know, social media has been the wild, wild west, right? It only really started 10 years ago. And I think we th- there should be policy, especially when it comes to young kids, and there should be limitations. And, and like, really, what do humans need? We need like we need connection. We need to be out in nature. We need to be grounded. Like technology is amazing, but there is also like an order of priorities of like what creates a happy, healthy human. And I think that's really important. Speaking about like community and creativity. And also permission to rest, something that you've also written to me about. What are your thoughts on leadership and how leadership is perceived today? I think the dominant paradigm of leadership today is still very much masculine. And while that is, Pink Salt Ventures is so core of a mission because I believe in feminine leadership. And I think that's what the world needs in terms of just being more connected as a planet when we think about living in harmony with nature, that we're a part of nature. I think that's very much the female experience, right? We menstruate, we give birth to kids. We are much more in touch with natural cycles and harmonies. And I think that's the leadership that the world needs today when we look at the challenges that we face. But we also need to be more connected as people. And I think women are really good at that. And this like overly 
masculine mode it's not good for men and it's not good for women either right and it's just like it's too disconnected it's too much about just the one mode of production forgetting about all of the externalities and like that extreme patriarchy is you know that does like have a lot to answer for in terms of the challenges that we face today and i think just that balance towards a more circular bringing the feminine into balance with the masculine i think that's the challenge that we face as a human race and how we can actually solve a lot of the big problems it doesn't mean that women are then not in touch with their masculine side right it's about men being able to be in touch with their feminine side when they're leading and when they're building organizations just as much as it's okay for a woman to build her type and her version of an organization and still be in touch with her masculine side it shouldn't be that for a woman to succeed she needs to emulate a man she should be able to be a woman right and build an organization in her image and still push people and drive people and be ambitious and i think that was my mother's generation the boomers you know they were the first women that went into the workforce en masse and for them to get ahead especially in like finance and you know these very male dominated industries they had to pretend that they were something they weren't or mask their true essence and i think the world needs the feminine essence and both genders all genders need it right yeah i mean it's just the fact that you have more personalities and characters at the table like discussing things it's just way so much interesting that people can be themselves yeah while leading it's just like finally like we're talking and then everyone is echoing each other and everyone is trying to act like a big boss then it just becomes extremely ah i guess exhausting because it's just it doesn't stimulate your imagination again creativity and having those different perspectives is just so fascinating so absolutely kudos to that and there's so many i think women that show that feminine leadership and already very present and also on the podcast um i love how on this show women come from very different backgrounds they have very different stories and they bring different personality with them and they really i think with themselves showcase that you can achieve you can be a woman of your own achievement with your own personality so they made it work and that what i find really inspiring yeah um you can say whatever you want you can be whoever you want and you will be treated rightly based on what you deliver right on your proof of work as we closely wrap up our session i wanted to ask you samira that there is something you mentioned that you live to make an impact. So maybe like in one sentence, what impact are you after in your mission in life? We just need to be liberated and create more love on earth. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a very unusual answer. Yeah. And I guess that starts with the self, you know, and if you're liberated in yourself, then you're generating that energy elsewhere and also creating love in what you do and how you treat people i think yeah we all need more love so nice <laughs> i just want to like capture this moment you know i think especially when it's summer nice weather yeah those words feel especially nice and good do you feel like you're succeeding on it yourself let's say I mean, yes, but it's like a constant exercise, right? You're like peeling back the onion when you make that commitment to getting rid of your self-limiting beliefs, to like pursuing your dreams, to putting yourself in the fire, through the fire. It's like every time you'll get to a certain level and then you're like, oh, I'm going to have to deal with that now. Like, that's interesting. And then 
also life changes, right? I didn't, I'm not married. I don't have children, but I'm sure motherhood, menopause, all or not choosing motherhood, you know, all of these different points in life will bring with it different challenges. So I think it's it's like a constant work, right? It's a work that's never done until you're dead. And then then you'll find out how you did. Oh, wow. <laughs> Lots of food for thought. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's really sets, um, yeah, sets on the right, on the right path and be reminded. I mean, we're in such a wind world of things constantly on a weekly basis and having that moment to just ask yourself, like, how are you contributing to this? Like, what kind of value you're giving to people? Like, are you giving back love? Like, what kind of, like, how are you responding to things? Yeah. It's very strong because it requires effort. And it's easier just to not think of that. And that's the easy solution, right? That's by default. And here it's, um, you know, I think it's also Leo Tolstoy. Up until his, like, later years, he was always challenging himself. And he, he said that, love your enemy. You know, even your biggest enemy, look into their eyes and express a deep love and compassion. And if you're able to do that, that's kind of the self-actualization of the Maslow's theory of needs. Like you've reached that moment where you're able to forgive and understand and give that love to a person and how the enemy reacts or not the enemy, but like the person maybe you dislike can be absolutely life-changing. They were missing maybe this love all this time and they were just waiting you to look at them with all this compassion, love, and then, and then magic is created. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And because that's also a recognition that we are all one, right? And if you truly believe in creating a better world and creating peace and saving the animals and not destroying the planet and loving your neighbors. Everyone's coming from somewhere and it's just about understanding where they're coming from and that's creating more peace and harmony. I will be like giving hugs everyone on yeah. everyone on the out of the studio. <laughs> We're all like, Dari, are you okay today? I will be like, just give me, let me give you a good look. Yeah. That's that. sweet. So that brings me to the very last question. Unfortunately, I see like this conversation can go on. Who is your woman author of achievement, Samira? My woman author of achievement, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but it's got to be my mom. You know, she carved out her own path. She was so different to all of her friends who I think they maybe one of them went to London, but they mainly all stayed in Northern Ireland. You know, Northern Ireland is a pretty parochial place, pretty inward looking and she decided to become a doctor and go halfway around the world and help people. You know, she's just so adventurous, but also such a woman of high integrity. And she really carved out her in life. And she did life on her own terms, you know, and has been so such a rock and such an inspiration as well. Thank you for sharing her name. Yeah. I hope she will listen to the episode. Oh, hopefully. You'll be like, well, now she will. Yeah, you'll be like, mom, okay, this is this one is for you. So make sure you tune in. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. And I love when the guests always, you know, bring up moms, not always, but from time to time, it's always just reminds us of that bliss and of those amazing women that brought us up. So kudos to that. Thank you for sharing her name. And Samira, that wraps up our conversation for today. Thank you for being on my show. You know, we've we're in contact for quite some time and I was so much looking forward to record this episode with you and thank you for bringing this you know openness and sharing about yourself about your life and allowing me to ask all those questions that are quite you know intimate they're personal 
I appreciate how candid you spoke about your past, your present and the future. And also introducing Pink Salt Ventures, it just feels like a really great craft, right, that you're on to and there's has a strong mission behind it. So I wish you all the success and that the listeners can hear and learn about it and just follow your journey along. I think there's a, a lot of exciting things ahead. So lovely evening. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're incredible. Love this community. And you're pulling out the good vibes as well. <laughs> yeah, love it. Liberating women. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.